Good morning, everybody. Well, you're looking mighty nice tonight, today, rather, and uh, appreciate you being here. Hope you had a great weekend, ready for another wonderful week in the presence of God. So why don't we just go ahead and give him a shout in advance for what he's going to do this coming week. Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen. All right, you can be seated. Always a joy to be here at West Houston, and I feel like I'm part of this church, been coming for a long time, praise God. And uh, Michelle has almost paid you off. Yeah, she's still got a few more payments, but uh, I thought when I started at Bible school, I started it for the purpose of getting people together. Uh, We had a lot of people wind up meeting their future husband, future wife, and uh, what a blessing it has been, and especially watching these guys. Uh, I can't believe the stories I've heard about Jack before Christ. But I'm sure glad he slipped in. Amen. (laughs) And so are his parents. Amen. All right. Of course, Michelle, she's been a sweetheart all of her life. She never had a problem. Amen. All right. Do you have your Bibles with you today? Oh, Richard. Richard, stand up. This is one of my associates, Richard. He's from originally from Kenya. And he's been with me a number of years. And what a great blessing he and his family are to our ministry. And uh, I think his mother brought him to hear me in Nairobi when he was just a little boy. Of course, I was just a little bit bigger than him. (laughs) No, in fact, I'll be uh, 77 this year in a a month or so. And uh, this is my 54th year in ministry. And God has been extremely good to Jerry Savelle and his family in this ministry And we are forever grateful for that. I want to read something to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want to read it from the message translation because it made a great impact on me when I saw it. It's just a wonderful statement. It says this in verse 22 and 23. All is yours and you are privileged to be in union with Christ who is in union with God. How many of you consider it to be a great privilege to be in union with Christ? Amen. What a great privilege that is. And he says, all is yours because of it. Look at your neighbor and say, everything God has belongs to me. Tell somebody else, everything God has belongs to me. Simply because I'm in union with Christ. I think we ought to give him a good shout and praise for that. Amen. You could say it this way. Everything that God has is yours simply because of your relationship with Christ. Now, my question is that everything God has is ours. Why aren't more Christians enjoying it? Amen. If everything is ours. Now, I take the word of God meaning exactly what it says. I remember when I came to the Lord in 1969, I didn't know much about the Bible. Uh, I I grew up in a Christian home, but I I didn't read the Bible myself. Uh, Went to a little Baptist church down at the end of our road, just a little country Baptist church. And I don't remember the pastor talking about, you know, the blessings of Abraham and Abraham's blessings are ours. I don't remember ever hearing the phrase redeemed from the curse or anything like that. Uh, I heard just a, a, a basic salvation message because the Baptists believe in getting people saved. Amen. And, uh, uh, but I didn't, I didn't read the Bible as a young boy. I heard Bible stories from time to time in church, you know, Samson and Delilah and, and uh, David and Goliath and those kind of stories. But it was a shock to me when I came to the Lord in 1969, February of 1969, and I started reading the Bible. It was a shock to me that you could actually live by it. I thought it was a history book, a story book, you know, and I had no idea that you could base your existence on this book, that that's why God put it in print is so that you and I 
could live by the words that we found in it and that God would honor it. I remember the first time I saw in the, in the Bible that he's not a man that he should lie. I thought, well, he's just like my daddy. My dad was an honest man. My dad uh, uh, never, never, never told a lie to me. Uh, my dad backed up everything he said to me. I remember when I was a young boy, <clears throat> I dreamed for the day that I got old enough to play little league baseball. And uh, my dad, <clears throat> uh, when I played for the first team that I played with, my dad told me, he said, son, I'll never miss a game that you play in. And he worked in a, at a dealership, a Chevrolet dealership in Shreveport, Louisiana. And uh, I could hear my dad every game. In fact, I'd, I'd, before I'd take the pitcher's mound, I would look in the stands and see if I could see my dad. And it wasn't long before I got ready to throw my first pitch, I'd hear him louder than anybody in the stands. Strike him out, Bubba. Strike him out, Bubba. And dad never missed a game. Now, I played all the way through Little League. I played all the way up through high school. I played uh, eventually on a farm league team sponsored by the Kansas City Royals. Didn't play for them very long, but uh, I, I had ambitions to play professional baseball. Didn't get quite that far, but my dad never missed a game. Not one time did he ever miss a game. And I thought when I saw that in the scripture, that God is not a man that he should lie. I thought, well, he's just like my daddy. So if my daddy told me something, I believed it. In fact, uh, dad loved to fish. And sometimes on, on uh, Friday, he would come home from work and he'd say, no, son, uh, as soon as I get off work tomorrow, back then they worked half a day on Saturday. He said, as soon as I uh, get back home uh, tomorrow, uh, uh, you and I are going to go fishing. Well, I believe my dad so much that I slept in the clothes the night before so I wouldn't have to waste any time getting dressed the next day because dad said we're going fishing. And if he said it, then he backed it. Amen. Amen. I remember one time uh, my dad was a, a Corvette specialist. Uh, General Motors trained my dad to work on Corvettes when they came out in 1953. Not many body men knew how to work fiberglass in those days. And Corvettes were fiberglass and still are to this day. And so General Motors took him up to Detroit and trained him to become a Corvette specialist. And in 1953, when the first one came out, uh, they sent one home with him. And his job was to wreck it and rebuild it. And I came home and let's see, I was about, uh, uh, about seven years old. I came home from school and saw that Corvette in my dad's shop at the back of our house. And I, I, I walked back there to look at it. And I thought it was the most beautiful car I'd ever seen in my life. And I just waited till my dad got home from work. And I said, is this ours? He said, no. He said, uh, the company sent it home for me to me. And he said, my job is to wreck it and rebuild it. I said, you're going to wreck this car? He said, that's exactly what they told me to do. He said, they want me to be able to repair Corvettes and be able to do it in my sleep. And so one day he just took it out. He took me with him and he said, step out of the car, son, and wait for me. And he ran it right into a tree and just shattered the whole front end. Now, back then you couldn't buy a clip front end for a Corvette. You can today, but back then, you had to go pick up the little pieces of fiberglass and put it all back together like a jigsaw puzzle. Wow. And my dad was a master at it. In fact, he did it so well that in high school, I wanted a Corvette so bad and dad couldn't afford to buy me one. And so one day I saw a guy wreck his Corvette and I went over to him and I said, you want to sell it? <laughs> He said, yeah. He said, I'll sell it. I'll just wind up buying me a new one. I said, well, don't, don't, uh, don't park it. Don't take it anywhere. Just leave it right here. I'll be back uh, with a trailer and I'm going to load it up and I'm going to buy it from you. It was a 1958 Corvette. This is 1963. And uh, so I hauled it home and put it in my dad's shop at the back of the house. 
And I went, uh, uh, before I put it on the trailer, I went around picking up all the pieces of fiberglass, little tiny pieces of fiberglass, and uh, put them in a box and put it on the trailer. And when dad got home, he said, son, what in the world are you going to do with this? I said, you're going to build it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I got my first Corvette when I was 16 years old, and I've been driving them ever since. Hallelujah. In fact, it is the car of heaven. <laughs> Did you know you're going to drive Corvettes in heaven? Yeah. As, his, as it is, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Well, my point is telling you the story is simply this. My dad was an honest man. He never lied to me. My dad was my best friend all my life. All of my classmates wanted to be around my dad because he was, he was one of the guys. Now, he was my father, you know, but he was my best friend. In fact, uh, he became the best friend of most, most of my classmates because when they wrecked their car, my dad would repair it for free. My dad said, son, do you have any friends that have any money? I said, no, dad. That's the reason they bring it to you. And he never turned anyone down. He was just, he was just that kind of guy. So when I read that scripture that God is not a man that he should lie, I thought, he's just like my daddy. So I knew I could take him at his word. And I've been doing it now for 54 years. I asked the Lord one time back there in those early days, I said, is there anything in this book that you didn't really mean? Would you please tell me now if there's anything in this book that you didn't really mean, tell me now so I won't waste my time believing for it. And in 54 years, he's never said, uh, by the way, I didn't really mean that. He meant every word of it. All scriptures inspired by God. Amen. Can you say amen? amen? I think you ought to thank God for his word. Would you do that? Thank God for his word. Now, if his word is true, and we know it is, then what he just said that I read to you at the beginning, all things are yours. Then why would we settle for anything less? If all things are yours, then why would you settle for anything less? A lot of Christians don't really understand, or let me say it this way. They don't believe all things are theirs. And there's three reasons, three major reasons why. Number one, lack of knowledge. The Bible says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Now, obviously, if you don't know what's in this book, then it's not likely that you'll ever enjoy it. Come on. Amen? Amen? If you don't know that healing belongs to you, then it's not likely you'll enjoy health. If you don't know prosperity belongs to you, then it's not likely you'll prosper. If you don't know that you, you, you have a right to be redeemed from the curse, then it's not likely that you'll experience that part of redemption, lack of knowledge. Now, that was my problem. I didn't have knowledge of what God's Word said. But that didn't last very long because uh, I owned an automotive business at the time that I came to the Lord. When I shut that business down <clears throat> to study the Word and to begin to prepare for full-time ministry, I couldn't get enough. In fact, the Lord told me, he said, if you'll give me the same kind of commitment that you gave to that business, then in three months, I'll change your life. Wow. And he said, uh, you, you, you didn't mind working all day and half the night if it meant being successful in business. He said, give me that same kind of commitment and watch what I do for you in three months. So when I shut that business down, I went into our guest bedroom and I began to study the Bible. And he said, give me the same commitment. So I worked a minimum of eight hours a day at my business. And many times those eight hours were turned into 10, 12, 15 hours. It didn't, it didn't make any difference how long it took for me. As far as I was concerned, I wanted to be successful. Sometimes I'd call my wife and say, don't expect me home. Uh, I've, got, I've got to finish this car tonight. Customers coming to pick it up tomorrow. And, and so if it meant working all night, that didn't bother me at all. I worked all night. 
And so the Lord said, give me that same commitment. And in three months, your life will never be the same. And so I went into that bedroom that first morning, February, 1969. Actually, I came to the Lord in February. It took me a few months to shut my business down. So just maybe five or six months later, uh, I went into that bedroom and I said, Lord, I'm going to give you no less than eight hours every day for the next three months. And I studied the word of God. I, I'd only come out at lunch time to be with my family, have lunch with them. Then I'd go back in there at one o'clock and not come out till five o'clock and I'd have dinner with them. And then they all, you know, did whatever they wanted to do. And I played with them. I enjoyed being with them. And as soon as they all went to bed, I went back in that bedroom and continued to study. Eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, 15 hours a day. And at the end of three months, I came out of there with a revelation. Praise God. My life was not the same. And it hasn't been since that day. Hallelujah. And even today, even though I've been studying this book for 54 years, I've I physically put this little body in 50 different nations and preached to, to masses of people all over the world. And today, I still cannot get enough of the Word of God. This is, uh, I'm passionate about a lot of things, but nothing more than studying this book. Hallelujah. I can't get enough. And just about the time you think you've learned everything there is to know about one verse, pick it up again, and you'll find out God's word and revelation of it is inexhaustible. Praise God. Amen. Amen. And so I take the word of God literally. What other way should you take it? If God said what he said and he doesn't lie, then what other way can you take it? So I believe and I've been preaching it all over the world this year, that God is ready for his people to enjoy the maximum, the highest level attainable. The maximum, the highest level attainable. A number of years ago, and Jack, I don't know if you were working there at that time. Uh, I, I don't remember, but it was a number of years ago. We invited a, a man to come and speak to our staff and this man was a Fortune 500 uh, speaker, a motivational speaker, and uh, he, he was well-known in, in uh, those circles. And uh, he was familiar with our ministry, and, and I believe it's my daughter, Terry, that invited him to come and speak to our staff. And so uh, we all gathered in the auditorium there, and when, he was, uh, when the service was turned to him, he started the, the, his message with this. How many of you in here believe that dogs love bones? And everybody lifted their head, including me. In fact, I just fed my dog a bone before I went to the meeting that day. And he didn't turn it down. He took it and run off with it. So I lifted my hand. Now let me ask you this. How many of you in here believe dogs love bones? Okay, that's the majority. Then he said this, dogs don't love bones. They love steak. They settle for bones. I put my hand down real quick. <laughs> if you don't believe that, go home, put a steak out there and put a bone out there and see which one he goes for. <laughs> dogs love steak. Amen. How many of you take doggy bags from the restaurant? I do. Especially when I have steak. Why? Because my dog loves steak. I don't take him the bones, I take him steak. Amen. What happens? They settle for bones. And that description, that's a description of the majority in the body of Christ. God's offering steak and we settle for bones. All things are yours. Look at your neighbor and say, all things are yours. If all things are yours, then why settle for bones when you can have the steak? Can you say amen? amen? So notice once again, all things are yours. And the reason being is not because you're such a good Christian. And it's not because, you know, you're so handsome or you're so beautiful or you're so smart. 
It's because of your union with Christ. It's because of your union with Christ. Can you say amen? amen? Jesus shed his blood to make it happen for you. So the Lord said to me last October, this time last year, first week of October, he said, your message for 2023, and you'll take it to people all over the world, is this. Tell them it's time for the maximum and the highest level attainable. Tell them to quit settling for less than my best. How many of you want God's best? I certainly do. And I'm not going to settle for anything less. Now, I'm extremely grateful for everything God has done for me. if, If I was to go home to be with the Lord tomorrow, I could say I must have been God's favorite child while I was on the earth. Because look what he did for me. I mean, that's the way I feel. Uh, And I know, you know, we all are equal. God doesn't love me any more than he loves you. And uh, uh, we, we all have access to all of this. But God has been so good to me. And been so good to my family, been so good to our ministry. In fact, uh, in 2020, my last meeting was in uh, Denver, Colorado. And I, I preached there on a Saturday night, a Sunday morning and a Sunday night. And then I jumped in my airplane and flew home. And when I got home, the next morning is when COVID hit, the pandemic. And everything shut down. And I'm a traveling minister. Now, I've, I've founded a church in Crowley, Texas, but I'm the worst attending member there. And, uh, but we have some great pastors and uh, they, they do a wonderful job at the church, but it still enables me to travel all, the, all over the world. And I'm going on the average of 20 days out of every month and been doing that for over 50 years. And so uh, when I got home that, that next morning, everything shut down. I couldn't travel anywhere. Brother Copeland and I did over at his ministry uh, from his studio some uh, virtual victory campaigns, but we didn't leave Fort Worth. And I, I did not leave Fort Worth, leave my home until August of that same year. First time I got to go travel and, and be in, a, in, in another church somewhere. And uh, in fact, it was a small church up in Missouri and uh, back in the, you know, kind of the boondocks. And boy, they packed that place out. I mean, there was, there was standing room only. And when the pastor turned over to me, I said, looks like to me, you people were ready to get out of the house. I mean, they, they came from everywhere. And uh, the world was screaming at that time, worst of times, worst of times. People were losing jobs. People were having to take their hard-earned savings to just, you know, maintain and exist. And, and, and it was very tough on a lot of people. Maybe some of you as well. But while they're screaming worst of times, I was having my best of times. Why? Because I believe all things are mine. I didn't say, well, Lord, we can't travel. I guess our finances will go down. See, uh, uh, in a traveling ministry, the majority of your income comes from the meetings that you do when you travel. But I had established over the years a very strong partner base and and my partners didn't quit on me. In fact, they raised their partnership. And in fact, by the end of 2020, my ministry had broken all previous records financially. And going into 2021, we broke those records. And 2022, we broke 2021's records. 2023, we're on target to break all the records that we broke in 2022. Why? Because I believe all things are mine. Amen. And I don't, I don't believe that a pandemic is going to stop it. Amen. Notice it doesn't say all things are yours unless... Unless what? Unless nothing. Okay, if you don't respond better, I'm going somewhere else and preach. <laughs> what? 
what, what does a pandemic have to do with it is written? This is God's word. This is God's bond. This is God's integrity. If you can't trust God, who can you trust? Now, don't give me this. Yeah, but you don't understand. I've heard it before and it won't float. <laughs> you don't understand. No, you don't understand. Thank you, Jack, for that. Come on. Hallelujah. <laughs> no, it's, it's not God that we're having a problem with. It's our lack of knowledge. And you can fix that. And sometimes when I'm up north, I can't say fix that. They don't understand that. But we fix things down here, right? right? <clears throat> no, you can, you can fix lack of knowledge by getting in this book. Amen. Yeah, but Brother Jerry, I'm not a preacher. I don't have time. I know lots of preachers that don't make time for the Word. In fact, I was in one church not too long, large church. I mean, one of them mega churches. And the pastor took me from his office through uh, his secretary's office and then to the auditorium. <clears throat> and he introduced me to his secretary and he reached over and she handed him a set of notes. He said, Brother Jerry, I don't even have to study the Bible anymore. I just give her a a subject, and she does all the research for me and hands it to me on my way to the pulpit. I thought, why would anybody want to go to that church? Why is it a mega church? Because a lot of mega churches don't preach the word. It's a, it's a, uh, not all. I know a lot of them that are powerfully strong in the word, but some of them are just a social club. They don't preach anything that brings conviction. We don't want to offend anybody. Amen. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to say, if it's not working for you, thou art lazy. Oh, we don't want to say that. I hope I don't lose your crowd today. <laughs> you know... We got we to gotta be real. Amen. If it's not working, it's not God's fault. If it's not working, it's not Jesus' fault. If it's not working, it's not the Holy Spirit's fault. If it's not working, it's not the Word of God's fault. Did I leave anybody else out? You. Put your finger right in front of your nose and say this out loud. If it's not working in my life, I have discovered the reason why. I have discovered the reason why. <laughs> now, we don't like that because we want it to be somebody else's fault. We got that from Adam. God said, what's the matter with you, son? That woman you gave me. I was fine till you made her. And do you notice that didn't impress God at all? I, I tried to use that. It, it's Carolyn's fault. I was doing good until you brought her into my life. No, I wasn't doing good at all. In fact, I got better when he brought her into my life. Amen. Amen. So we have to accept as our own responsibility as to why we're not experiencing God's best. It's available because all things are yours. Amen. Say it again. All things are mine. All things are mine. And if you really believe it, give him another shout of praise. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, listen to this, uh, Romans chapter 8, you're all familiar with it, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Amen. If children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Amen. What's an heir? An heir is someone who's entitled to everything that belonged to their parents. Right, right. Amen. Say that. 
Now, let me ask you this. When do you get your inheritance? When your family dies or your parents die or when you die? When they die. But most of the body of Christ is waiting until they die and get to heaven. Say that. In fact, Psalm 23, most people think that is the description of a heavenly banquet. It's not. Now, there will be a heavenly banquet, but it's not in Psalm 23. Come on. You prepare a table for me in the presence of mine enemy. You have heard the devil's not going? <laughs> so that's not a heavenly banquet. God is preparing a table for us in the presence of our enemy right down here on earth. And the problem is he can't get his kids to come to the table. In fact, I'm sitting at that table and I'm looking around at a lot of empty chairs. And if you don't come to the table, I'm going to eat mine and yours. <laughs> Anybody grow up in a large family? I remember my, my mother, on my mother's side, she had five sisters and a brother. And all of her family or siblings, they all had at least three children, and most of them had five or six children. My mom and dad just had myself and my sister. And so we were the, the, the smaller group. But we would go to my grandmother's home in Oklahoma City uh, like Thanksgiving Day. And my grandmother didn't have a very big house. And how in the world we got all that bunch in there, I'll, I'll never know. And, and I mean, it was a crowd. And of course, they all made, you know, Thanksgiving dinner. It was, it was awesome. And boy, you could smell that turkey. You could smell that dressing. You could smell all that wonderful food. And we could hardly wait until they called us to the table. And boy, when they said... Uh, Thanksgiving lunch is ready. It's like a madhouse. I mean, people grabbing and, and filling their plates and finding some place. A lot of them had to go out on the front porch and eat because there's so many people in there. And I don't remember ever one time that anybody had to say, uh, Jerry, come to the table. No, my cousins and I, we fought all the way to the table <laughs> trying to get there first. Amen. And yet God is saying, I've prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemy. What does that mean? Satan just has to sit by and watch you enjoy this feast and can't do a thing about it. Amen. Why? Because all things are yours. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen. So notice we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Now, the Amplified says, we share his inheritance with him. See, Jesus is, is the rare breed, you might say. He died so that we could have an inheritance, but then he was raised from the dead to make sure we got it. When my mom and dad passed away, my, my dad left my sister and I the farm where I was born in Vicksburg, Mississippi that he inherited from his mom and dad. And so we got the farm. And of course, uh, I, I hardly ever got over to Vicksburg. But after I inherited it, I told my wife, I said, I'm going I'm to get in my truck and I'm going to drive to Vicksburg. I'm going to spend a few days there and just walk the farm and pray and determine what I want to do with this place. Because I never got over there. Hadn't been over there in years. The old farmhouse was still there. Uh, the barn was still there. In fact, it still had my grandfather's 1928 Massey Ferguson tractor in it. And uh, I remember riding on the back of it with him. And so I went over there. Got a hotel nearby. And uh, went out there the next day. And when I walked on the property, it brought back fond memories. And uh, I walked the whole property. And I thought, I don't know if I could sell this place or not. I mean, there's too many wonderful memories here. 
And when I walked in that barn and saw that old tractor still there, I was just a little boy and I'd be on the back of it with him. And it's like a, it's like a Sherman tank. Had steel cleats. And, and I'd be on the back of it and say, Grandpa, how powerful is this tractor? He said, son, I can knock that tree down with it. I said, do it. You know? And, <laughs> and, and, and uh, he had, still had that tractor in there. And, and, and I went down to the pond where I used to fish. I'd tell my dad, I'd say, Dad, all the fish are out in the middle and I can't get to them. I was fishing on the bank. I said, I need a boat. Now, back then, Dad worked for the Studebaker dealership. Anybody remember what a 49 Studebaker looked like? Had a, a, a hood that went way down like this. My dad took two Studebaker hoods, welded them together, made me a boat. So I get out there in the middle of that river. And that old boat was still laying on the side of the bank. It's all rusted out now. I thought, how can I sell this place? There's too many wonderful memories here, you know. And so I went back up to the house, got in my truck, and went to the hotel. And I was praying, you know, and I thought, well, there's no need me keeping this place. I never get over here. I'll never do anything with it. I said, well, I'm going to go to the courthouse in the morning and see uh, what kind of appraisal they've got on this property. The old house, it was, it was run down. It'd been, it, my grandfather built it in 1957. And uh, it's just a shotgun house. You know, you stand the front door and see all the way through the back. And uh, it wasn't worth much. But the land, you know, uh, I thought, well, it's still, it still should bring pretty good money. So I went to the courthouse to see what they had on the appraisal. And it really wasn't that much. So I thought, well, I'm going to sell it. And I'll just ask for three times the amount that they appraised it for. If I sell it, fine. If I don't, fine. I'm not in a bind. I'll just hold on to it. Somebody eventually will want to buy it. And so I went out there the next day and walked the property again. And, uh, and then I got in my truck and I was about to back out of the, of the driveway. And I'm talking a gravel driveway. And uh, a truck pulled in behind me. And he got out of his truck. I got out of mine. He said, are you Mr. Savell? I said, yes, I am. He said, well, one of your neighbors said somebody's been walking around here the last couple of days and said it might be Mr. Savell. And he said, I've been wanting to buy this place, but I didn't know how to get a hold of anybody that owned it. And I said, well, I own it now. And he said, is it for sale? I said, I, I just made a decision this morning. I'd put it up for sale. He said, what do you want for it? I told him, he said, I'll take it. He didn't, he didn't bat an eye. I'll buy it. I said, you have an attorney here? He said, oh, yeah. I said, well, let's go draw up a contract. So he got in his truck. He backed out. I got in my truck. And as I'm backing out, he pulled back in front of me, uh, behind me, rather. And he, he got out of his truck again. I got out of my truck. He said, would you consider trading it for something of equal value? I said, well, I hadn't thought about that, but what do you have for equal value? <clears throat> Now, I'm going to pause here for a moment and go back a little bit. The last Corvette I owned when I owned my automotive business was a 67 427 four-speed Corvette. Why we call them a 63 big block Corvette, 427 horsepower. Okay. And... Uh, I'd always wanted another one. But by this time, they'd got so expensive because they're collectible. And, uh, and every time Carolyn would say, what would you like for your birthday? I'd say, she said, I'm not getting you that. <laughs> it's too expensive. What else would you like? I'd, I'd tell her something. Christmas, what would you like for Christmas? It got to where I wouldn't answer. I'd just go, you know, raise my eyebrow. She said, I'm not getting you a 67 Corvette. It's too expensive. So now this guy says, would you consider trading for something of equal value? I said, well, I might. I said, what have you got that you think is equal value for this property? He said, I have a 67 427 Corvette. I said, let's go look at your four. <laughs> we drove out to his house. 
He had a shop. You would have thought this boy was my lost, long lost brother. Everything in his shop looked just like my shop. I mean, it was immaculate. And he had this 67 Corvette coverage. He pulled it off of there, started it up. Oh, it sounded like heaven. He said, I heard you were a Corvette collector and you know what this is worth. I said, yes, I do. Is it matching numbers? Yes, it is. He said, it's worth what you're asking for that property. I said, yes, it is. He said, do we have a trade? I said, it's a Pope Catholic. <laughs> yes, we have a trade. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so I called Carolyn on the way to the attorney's office and I said, Carolyn, you will never believe what the Lord just did for me. And I just let it hang there for a month. She said, he didn't. I said, yes, he did. She said, you got a 67 Corvette? I said, I did. I just traded the farm for it. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, and it's immaculate. In fact, I took Brother Copeland riding in it just not too long ago. He said, Jerry, this is like a, what a Corvette should sound like. I said, hold on. Now you're going to feel what it drives like. I put Jesse the planter in and he screamed like a girl. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Somebody said, what a coincidence. Well, if it's a coincidence, it happens to me all the time. Amen. Why? Because I believe all things are mine. I said, I believe all things are mine. It's part of my inheritance. Now, a 67 Corvette would not interest most of any, most of you in here, but whatever you're interested in, the Bible says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. In fact, I'm a little bit hesitant to tell this, but this is a faith church, right? So you can handle it. Carol and I took our family to Florida last week for some vacation time. We were driving out to the airport to, to meet the family and we're going to fly down to uh, Rosemary Beach, Florida, near Panama City. On the way to the airport, on the way to the airport, I get a call. I put the speaker on because I'm driving and the person on the other end said, Jerry, did you read my text? I said, no, sir, I'm, I'm driving right now. I'm headed to the airport. I'll, I'll read it as soon as I get to the airport. He said, no, read it now. I said, all right, give me time to pull off the highway and I'll pull over. And I read the text. I said, Carolyn, look at this. She said, I don't believe you. It said, I just got a 2023 Corvette. And when I sat down in it, I heard God say, this belongs to Jerry Savelle. Wow. He said, when will you come pick it up? I said, well, I'm going on vacation and I'll be back Sunday night. And I mean, uh, Saturday night, I'm going to Houston Sunday. And as soon as I get back to the airport, I'll come straight to pick it up. Amen. Oh, Brother Jerry, what a coincidence. If it's a coincidence, they happen to me all the time. Now, I know most of you are not interested in a 2023 Corvette, and I'm praying for you to have a, 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 a new mind. No. no, it's just what I enjoy. Then the Bible says he gives us all things to enjoy. It's what I enjoy. Now, somebody said, well, what are you going to do with all them Corvettes? Well, every once in a while, the Lord says, give them away. Come on, right? I've cleaned out my shop, given everything away. Say that. Carolyn come home. She was preaching with, with uh, Lynn Hammond in a women's meeting. She came home. I was out in the shop cleaning things up. She said, where's all your motorcycles? Where's all your cars? I said, I gave it all away. Why? 
I said, well, I just want the Lord to know he's still number one in my life. None of this means anything to me except the fact that he gave it to me. She said, she said, now when she gets serious with me, I'm not Jerry, sweetheart, honey, Jerry Savelle, and this happens. <laughs> Jerry Savelle, he knows he's number one in your life. You don't have to give all that away. I said, I just wanted to assure him that he's still number one. She said, don't you ever do it again. I said, why not? She said, they come back to you in fleets. We'll have to build a bigger garage. <laughs> and guess what? We had to build a bigger garage. <laughs> why? I believe the Bible. All things are yours. All things are yours. All things are yours. All things are yours. Amen. Now, you don't have to enjoy what I enjoy, but surely you have things that you enjoy. You have things that bring you pleasure. Amen. You have things that, that, that you're passionate about. Don't ever allow them to take the place of the Word of God and your relationship with God. That's really neat. He keeps doing this for me. 54 years, and I have not backed off my relationship with him in the least. I haven't backed off from the word of God in the least. I'm more passionate about him and his word today than I ever have been. Amen. Amen. And I just happen to believe that all things are ours. Why? Because that's what he said in the book. Can you say amen? Look at somebody smile real big and say, don't settle for less than God's best anymore. Now listen to this. The message translation says, we know who he is and we know who we are, father and children. And we know that we have an unbelievable inheritance. A lot of people just have a hard time believing that God would do these things for them. And it's not, once again, it's not because we're so good. It's because he's so good. Can you say amen? Amen. <clears throat> the Passion Translation says, since we are His children, we qualify to share in all His inheritance. Amen. Oh, I love that. We qualify. Look at somebody and say, you qualify. Notice it's not based. It's not based on how good you've been. It's not based on what kind of past you had. Thank God. We qualify because we're in union with Christ. Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. Can anybody say Jesus is my Lord today? Then you are in union with Christ. And that's the reason all things are yours. That's the reason you have this unbelievable inheritance. And even though there are things we will obtain when we get to heaven... But not everything that belongs to us is waiting for us in heaven. We can enjoy a lot of it right down here. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I told somebody one time, I said, I'm going to prosper while I'm in the earth. So when I get to heaven, it won't be so foreign to me. Amen. Amen. Do you notice Jesus said in my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare one for thee. He didn't say, in my father's house are many shacks. I go to repair one for thee. Yeah. No. Mansions. Mansions. Hallelujah. So why not enjoy the good life down here so when you get to heaven, you won't be like a Gomer Powell standing around going, golly, shazam. Look at yonder. No. Learn how to enjoy some of it right down here. Right. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can somebody say amen? amen. <clears throat> so once again, why aren't most of God's people enjoying his best? Number one, lack of knowledge. Number two, rejected knowledge. Rejected knowledge. That's all found in Hosea chapter four and verse six. He said, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And then he went on to say, and some reject knowledge. Now, to me, 
I believe those who reject knowledge are in a worse scenario than those who have no knowledge. Amen. Why would anybody reject knowledge? Religious tradition. Religious unbelief. Now, I've preached in churches over the years where, in fact, let me tell you a story. You got time? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'll, I'll, I'll close it with this. I'm not done. I don't ever get through. I just have to close somewhere. Years ago, I was in a meeting in Hot Springs, Arkansas, 1973. And a young lady came up to me after the service. She said, you sound like my daddy. I said, well, who's your daddy? She said, well, you wouldn't know him. Not many people do. But someday my daddy will be well known. She said, uh, if I invite my mom and dad to come to the meeting tomorrow night, do you think you might be able to have dinner with them after the service? I said, well, it's quite possible. And so I said again, well, who's your daddy? She said, Charles Capps. And so the next night, Carol and I went to dinner with Charles and Peggy Capps and the, little, the young girl who invited me was their daughter, Annette. And so we went to dinner and Charles and I began talking over the dinner table. And I turned to Annette. I said, yes, you were right. I do sound like your daddy and your daddy sounds like me. And we became immediate friends, immediate friends. And Charles said to me, would you consider coming to England, Arkansas, and preaching in the church that I attend. He said, it's an assembly of God church. And he said, and the pastor, I'm having a hard time getting him to uh, accept the word of faith. I said, well, I, I don't know that he'd accept it from me, but I'd be happy to come. He said, well, I'm going to ask him if I can invite you. So he did. And they set it up for me to come for three nights. Now this, this pastor's, uh, not there anymore. Uh, I, I believe he's on, going on to be with the Lord. But the first night when the pastor turned the service over to me, I met him and his wife, turned the service over to me, and I'm preaching from Romans 3 and Romans 5, a message I just simply called the reality of righteousness. The reality of righteousness. Right standing with God. That's what righteousness means. Right standing with God. And I preached on the reality of righteousness. He and his wife got up and walked out of the service. Never came back. Never came back that night. I thought maybe they had something they had to do at the office and would come back. They never came back in. The next night, he introduced me and then he walked out and didn't stay for the service. And then the next night, I thought, well, I'm getting, a, you know, the treatment here. And uh, Charles was apologizing. He didn't know. He thought I offended the pastor or something, you know, or in the pastor's mind, offended him or something. And so the next night, the pastor stood up and he said, uh, Brother Savell, would you come up to the podium? I said, yes, sir. He said, I need to apologize to you. I said, why? He said, well, uh, the only reason I asked you to come is because Charles wanted me to invite you to come. He said, in the first night, you made me so mad. He said, I'm sure you noticed my wife and I got up and walked out. I said, yes, sir, I did. He said, uh, I introduced you the next night and I didn't even stay. He said, I went out in the lobby and I listened to a little bit of it. Then my wife and I went home. He said, when we got home that night, I told my wife, that, that young man is nothing but a smart aleck. He don't know nothing about the Bible. He said, I'm going to go to those scriptures and see if that's what it says. He said, we wrote up most of the night reading what you preached about, and it was in the book. And said, and I got up and went to my library and took a bunch of books out in the backyard in a, in a barrel, and I had a book burning last night. And he said, and I just want you to know, young man, you were right. You preached the Bible and I apologize. So let us have it tonight. Hallelujah. But see what happened was, 
his religious tradition was causing him to reject knowledge. Amen? So number one is lack of knowledge, why people are not enjoying God's best. Number two, rejected knowledge. How many of you ever heard this? I've heard it I don't know how many times. I know the Bible says that, but you don't understand. I know the Bible says that, but that's not the way we were taught. Did it ever dawn on you? You might have been taught wrong. Come on. Not saying you were, but possibility. You can't, you can't say, I know the Bible says that, and then turn around and say something else. If the Bible says it, that settles it. Can you say amen? amen? If the Bible says it, that settles it. Hallelujah. And then number three, the reason a lot of people are not enjoying God's best is because they give up too quickly. Come on. They give up too quickly. They might have knowledge. They may have received it. They didn't reject it. Then they attempted to apply it and it looks like it's not working and they give up. The Apostle Paul talking about you know, having done all to stand, stand therefore. Yes, having done all to stand, stand therefore. See, if it was easy, then we wouldn't have to stand and having done all to stand, stand some more. Right. One translation in the message translation says, Abraham believed God and stuck it out and got everything God promised to him. Amen. He stuck it out and got everything promised Praise to him. God. A lot of Christians are not willing to stick it out today. We, we, want, we want, you know, God's word to come to pass in our lives like we were going to McDonald's. Just order it and then drive around the corner and it's there ready for you. It doesn't happen that way all the time. Come on. Now, one of my favorite words in the Bible is suddenly. I love suddenlies. Anybody like suddenlies? Come on. But, but that really doesn't describe the life of faith. The life of faith is having done all to stand, stand. Endure. Be patient. And if you're willing to endure, you're willing to be patient, you're willing to, uh, having done all to stand, stand, like Kenneth Hagin used to say, if you're prepared to stand forever, then it won't take very long. But most Christians are not prepared to stand forever. Their attitude is, I'm going to try this, and if it doesn't work by dark, I'm not playing anymore. That's, that's not going to get you God's best. That's not, going to, that's not going to take you to the maximum and the highest level attainable. Can you say amen? amen? So three reasons why the Bible tells us that most of his people are not enjoying his best, even though he says all things are theirs, lack of knowledge, Rejected knowledge and an unwillingness to stand. Come on. Right. If you correct those things, you will enjoy God's praise best. God. Give the Lord your best shout today, praise God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me, please? Father, I pray over everyone here in the sound of my voice and those who may be watching my live stream. I pray that something that was said today has, has entered into their hearts and has caused a, a, an explosion on the inside of them of revelation. I pray that it may have answered the questions as to why it's not working. Why am I not seeing results? These are the reasons why. And I believe if they will take those reasons why and do whatever is necessary to correct them, then they will begin to experience your best. They will have maximum results and they'll reach the highest level attainable. I pray for them all in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray like you prayed over Peter. You said to Simon Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed that your faith fail not. Just reading it at surface value, it sounds like it's possible for faith to fail, but that's not what the little Greek says. 
The little Greek says, I pray that your faith will not be reduced to inactivity. So good. That your faith will not be reduced to inactivity. That's my prayer for you today. Yes. That your faith will not be reduced to inactivity. Amen. No matter how hard it is, no matter how long you've stood, just keep at it, stay with it, stick it out as Abraham did, and get everything God promised. Can you say amen? Amen. Give the Lord your best shout. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah.